What is going on, everybody? My name's Nicholas Willard. This is Almost Canon. Now, before we get into tonight's show, I just wanted everyone to know that if you have had some sort of paranormal encounter or maybe something strange or unusual has happened to you while out hiking or maybe hunting, camping, or exploring an abandoned building somewhere, then please email the show at almostcanonpod at gmail.com. You can send us a message via our Facebook page, which is Almost Canon Podcast. You can hit us up through Instagram at Almost Canon Pod. Doesn't really matter how you do it. Just please get a hold of us. We want to hear your story. Now that the, the pleasantries are out of the way, let's get into tonight's episode. The world is full of wonders. And for thousands of years, people have walked its surface, exploring its different regions and discovering stunning locations beyond imagination. Places like the Grand Canyon in Arizona, Victoria Falls in Southern Africa, Ha Long Bay in Vietnam, the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, Mount Everest in the Himalayas, Angel Falls in Venezuela, and so many others. These places are visited every year by millions of people looking to be inspired and feel alive. Then there are places on this earth that are known to be mysterious. Places that are no less wondrous but hold something else. We've given these places names such as the Bermuda Triangle, the Devil's Triangle, the Alaskan Triangle, and the Bridgewater Triangle. Things seem to happen within these locations that defy explanation. It's almost as though a power is at work within these triangles, reaching out from the depths and taking a hold of whatever it touches. Time seems to flow differently. Weather is at the mercy of something unseen. And not only people go missing, but ships measuring hundreds of feet in length and squadrons of fighter planes vanish without a trace. One of these triangles which is not as well known as the rest, but is no less mysterious, is the Bennington Triangle. This small geographical location is tucked away in the northeast corner of the United States in the small state of Vermont. The weirdness found in this location seems to be focused around a mountain whose name alone instills mystery and wonder, Gladstonebury Mountain. So this evening, we will be discussing the Bennington Triangle with paranormal investigator and paranormal investigators of New England member Lindsay Stevens. We'll be peeling back the layers of mystery as we try to get to the root of this enigma. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this deep dive into the Bennington Triangle. You want to um, introduce yourself? I don't usually when I do this, I'll have like some facts about the person and then I'll kind of do an introduction, but I, I don't know anything about you. So I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't have anything to write down. Yeah, no, no worries. So yeah, my name is Lindsay Stevens. I was born and raised in Vermont. I'm a member of Paranormal Investigators of New England. They've been around since 2000 and 
2003 or 2005, 2004, I think. <laughs> but anyhow, I've been on the team for about 10 years. Um, we are a member of the TAPS family. I had, I definitely had experience, you know, in the paranormal before I joined the group. So all throughout my life, I've been investigating, you know, investigating just the mysteries of the world and, you know, been really into the paranormal. And I think no matter what anybody says, everybody wants to know, you know, more well, what happens after we pass away. I don't care what anyone says, right. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, you know, everybody has that curiosity in them. So, uh, you know, I've always just been interested in mysteries, paranormal stuff, horror stuff. And uh, I had some experiences as, as a kid and I ended up uh, reaching out to, you know, the team back 2013 actually so i'm just coming up on my 10 years but and they took me on and you know it's been it's been a ride since then but i've learned a lot and you know in the 10 years i've continued to investigate learn more and you know expand my knowledge but expand my curiosity too the more you know, the more you want to know, the more questions you have. You know, you never actually come closer to finding the truth. You just like you just have more questions. Right. So, I mean, that's that's the thing that really draws me is, you know, one step that you learn, you're literally two steps back. Right. That, that's funny that you say that, because I I just talked to uh, Daniel I always want to say his name, his last name's Cleese, but I think it's Class. Daniel Class. He owns the uh the Hinsdale house and in, in uh, uh yeah. In, uh, I want to go there so bad. Yeah, I'm I just talked to him last week and he said the same thing. Like you never actually find any answers, you just keep finding more questions. <laughs> no, but you know what, too? It's like each answer you find like makes you want to work twice as hard. Because it like piques your curiosity, you know, not only like, is it giving you more questions, but it's like, everything that you learn is just like more mind blowing. And then you're like, okay, you know, it's just, it's a constant search. Mm. And honestly, like, I don't think no matter how long somebody's been into the paranormal or investigating, the truth is, will any of us ever really know, right. you know? Yeah, probably not until we die. <laughs> pretty much um i also want to just mention that i got all my notes on my phone so i'm gonna be like i'm paying attention but i'm gonna be looking no worries it. because i'm gonna be honest like i love everything about the bennington triangle i've been there before you know like i said i did my college thesis mm. but i still put down notes because i was not going to be on a podcast and say wrong dates right. <laughs> okay the bennington triangle it's spooky season right it's of course. the best time of the year. <laughs> and when I think of October and Halloween, you know, you always think of like ghosts and just real scary stuff. And when you think of the Bennington Triangle, you don't necessarily think of it as as scary. Like, you know, it's not like scary, like horror movie demons and, and stuff like that. But but when when you get into it and you dig into everything that's gone on there, it's actually it is scary. And the people who went missing there just to like think about for a second what they felt when, you know, whenever they went missing and that, that goes for anybody who's gone missing, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it is really scary and it's scary that we don't know what happened to them. And it's practically in my backyard. 
Um, I know on the podcast we've talked about the Bennington Triangle, all you know, I don't know, probably 10 episodes that comes up every now and then. So we've talked about it multiple times, but we've never really gotten into it. Um, so I think now is the best time to do that. And I, there's, there's so many layers of the triangle. You have missing people, you have weird events, weird things that have happened, ghost towns, monsters, um, UFOs. I didn't really take any notes of UFOs, but I, I've, you know, I See, read. That's the thing, though. There's so much stuff that goes on with it. It makes you have to wonder about the whole theory if it's all connected. Right. I'm, and I'm not saying every paranormal experience. I do think that obviously, like in any investigation I've gone into, everyone is different, you know? So I'm not saying like specifically, but I think that some paranormal events that go on definitely like you have to wonder if it's all related with the whole thing of the portals, the Bigfoot, the UFOs, and the fact that this is just one hotspot. And if you do research, you know, there's other hotspots around the world too that have literally the same things going on. Mm. Yeah. So I think it's a cool place. And, you know, people don't know about it because Vermont's little right. Vermont. I know. It's like, it seems like within the past year or two or three, it's gotten more attention than, than it's ever gotten before. Yeah. Oh yeah. But it it, it's definitely still not like mainstream. Like you, you hear people talk about triangles, you know, you got the Alaskan triangle or the Bermuda triangle, the Bridgewater triangle, but no one ever talks about the, the Bennington triangle. And that's the big thing is the Bridgewater triangle. Did you know, well, I'm sure that you have like found in your research, but the Bridgewater triangle was based off or not the Bridgewater, sorry, the Bennington triangle was based off the Bridgewater triangle. No, because yeah, so there's a writer. So it wasn't actually known as the Bennington Triangle until the early, until early, like I want to say maybe 1992. Oh, with Joseph Citro, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's where the actual term like Bennington right. Triangle came from. Right, right. So, but it doesn't matter. It's still like cool. Like, so I'm happy that we now have a name for it. <laughs> you know, because the area in general like it's gone back in history of having like odd occurrences and stuff like that. Right. So I give him a lot of credit because I feel like he did bring, you know, some, yeah. it just made it a little bit more well known with his writings and yeah. everything, you know, and now there's a name for it, which makes people more interested, you know, right. like right. it's cool. Yeah. I'm actually fairly, I, I guess I'm not, we're not like, friends or anything i wouldn't say that but pretty close with with joseph citro actually i've had him on the show several times we talk back and forth i shoot him ideas all the time and he, he answers me yeah what he thinks about him i asked him some stuff about the, the triangle before we started um yeah he knows right he, 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 he said he said he doesn't remember that he'd have to dig out his notes so <laughs> cool he doesn't like to get things wrong <laughs> yeah I'm the same way though, <clears throat> you know? Yeah. That's why I was like, yeah, I do have notes, you know, like I can tell you like so many theories and all that stuff, but if I'm doing something, I want to make sure I have my notes right. <laughs> right. I, uh, I have my one theory and I'm sticking to it. And I, I also believe it's connect. Everything's connected. The whole thing, Yeah. whatever's going on there, it's from one source and it's, I know what it is. <laughs> I want to hear your theory. I am right. so. Um, I don't know if I should save it or not, but 
I'll just I'll just say it anyway. Or, because... or I was gonna say, or we can go through like all the stuff and then just do your theory at the end. I know, I know, but I, 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 I want to talk about <laughs> it. You really want to get to it. It's fine. It's it's fine. Um, yeah, we'll I'll, we'll do it at the end. I, I'm sure everyone <laughs> everyone who's listening already knows because it's it's my theory for everything. Um, but uh, but yeah. So let's see what well, I got here on my notes. So like I said, you got missing people like. There's there's several like key points here on the it's a you got a bunch of things going on here but there's several key um I don't know topics or uh what what's a good categories that are that are going on here and that would be missing people um I kind of ca- called it like uh cursed lands like the like uh the land is cursed and Tainted. yeah that works and um what was my last one here? Missing people. Maybe I just had two. I kind of mixed the cursed. Because I guess the, the cursed land kind of goes with the ghost town. So, the, the you know, there's something wrong with the land itself. And there's a ghost town. to kind of mash those together. But, um. So, I figured we could just start with the land itself. Yeah. Like the, the whole, the mountain, the, the triangle, what the triangle is made up of like what towns and i believe those are bennington woodford which i've never been to or heard of uh (laughs) and somerset um with gladstonberry mountain in the center of of it all yeah and then you have south well obviously you know not anymore but used to be south glastonbury which was started after glastonbury so when there's kind of the downfall of Glastonbury, they tried to like revive it and they did South Glastonbury. Okay. Obviously yeah. both are a ghost town now. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I kind of wrote some of the history of the downfall, but my notes are very spotty. So like I said, I'd never heard of Woodford, but I've been to Shaftesbury. Um, my, like I said, my cousin, I have a cousin and my uncles, they, they live down there. Uh, in Somerset, I've been to Somerset Reservoir, which kind of comes yeah. into play later on. Um, and Bennington, I mean, it, it's pretty, it's, I guess it, you could call it one of Vermont's cities. Bennington and Burlington, I feel like, are the biggest. Uh, it's just so bizarre to me. I was born, <laughs> I was born in Burlington. I grew up in Burlington until I was about 15. Burlington and Bennington so opposite <laughs> yeah i mean I, i've never actually even been to uh burlington before no. other than the echo people museum like... col- yeah people see it as a college town but like i said i grew up until i was 15 there you know i didn't live in the college town you know area i lived in burlington residential area but the yeah. suburbs <laughs> suburbs pretty much that's what we call it <laughs> yeah i mean i i don't i don't I don't, I'm pretty sure I've been to Bennington with like the school, but I don't really remember it at all. Really never been to Burlington. So I don't actually know what they're like, but when I think of I Bennington and Bennington Burlington. To Rutland. And Rut- I've been to, yeah, obviously, I've obviously been to Rutland. I guess yeah, that's they're, one they're of the big ones the too. Oh, all right. Yeah. So, so when you think of Vermont, really people think of, of Burlington, but, uh, or I guess when you, when you talk about Vermont, most people don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. But um, but yeah. So the so the triangle. 
Bennington, Woodford, Shaftesbury, and Somerset was kind of, you know, like like you had mentioned, this writer, Joseph Citro, he kind of, you know, based it off these other triangles around the world that we that we always talk about. And he kind of pieced it together on a map with these towns. And he's like, this is what all the weird stuff's going on here. And he kind of, you know, it kind of forms a rough triangle. And he 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 coined the name the Bennington Triangle. When I think of the Bennington Triangle, the first thing I think about is the ghost town, which is almost opposite of what other people think about, which I think is the missing people, because that's really all yeah. all they hear about, really. You know, I, I searched all these other podcasts about the Bennington Triangle, and it's all about these missing people. Um, yep. There's not a whole lot about uh, this ghost town of Gladstonebury. Or the history of the land, too. You don't see much or, about yeah. that either, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, really, the the only thing, and this is what I asked uh, Joseph Citro about, too, like what what's I asked him what the history of the land was. And he said he's 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 not even sure. Um, he says a lot of the stuff that he found was just things printed by the paper at the time whenever they're doing an article on these missing people mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but it would seem the land, the 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 mountain itself, or at least the the summit of the mountain I don't want to say it was necessarily cursed, but it was it was sacred in some way to the Abenaki Indians of, you know, that that area. Um, they definitely had some sort of view on it, you know, right. I said like everything that I have researched has been. So another, you know, course that I took in school happened to also be Abenaki history, too. So I learned a lot about different, you know, the Vermont tribes you know, that were around the area too, which was really cool because you, you were able to really learn their way of thinking, living and, you know, everything back in that time. But, you know, if I add that on to everything that I've researched and everything, they definitely, they had a strong feeling about that land and, you know, they had their, their folklore about it. And, you know, a lot of things that I've seen too is, that they were worried about, you know, their tribes being attacked by, you know, something coming from within, you know, from the forest. And of course, you know, you read about the Bigfoot activity there and, you know, their reports of Bigfoot around there. So that's what really what I lean towards. But still, not only that, that the fact that they only buried their dead at the Ooh. base of the mountain. Right you know, really shows you that there was something about that area, whether it was cursed or whether it was sacred, it was something. And I've seen, I've seen both things reported, you know, that it was cursed and that's why they didn't go up there. Like they didn't even hunt up there. And Mm -hmm. I've also read that they believe that their God lived up at the top of, you know, that area too. So that is interesting. Depending on, you know, what, you lean towards or whatnot. And the big thing was that all four winds meet up at that thing, which also goes into, you know, like I said, when it comes to the Bridgewater triangle, you could go on for hours and hours, like just on each theory and just on each like historical thing and, you know, folklore and whatnot. But, you know, just to kind of sum it up, you know, they believe that, where that is a point where all four winds meet. So that also, you know, had weather patterns that, 
you know, it can change. And of course, I lived up on Killington Mountain for years and years. Same thing. You know, winds come from different directions, weather patterns. I think that's nature, but it still it still doesn't matter. That's what the Abenakis, you know, fell. And because of all four winds meeting up there, that was, you know, one reason why it was a sacred place. And between them believing that their God also, you know, resided up there. So that was like, and I think the God, you know, being the winds meeting right there, the power, you know, that's probably why they felt that way or, you know, thought that way. Mm. But, and then there was also, you know, and I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen this and, you know, your research of the stone that eats people there, you know, that's a big well-known thing. But it all still has to do with the peak of the mountain. Hmm. Yeah. So it, it's it's all you know based on the summit. But right. I know that there's a quote, and I'm pretty sure this is the whole quote. It, it's about about the four winds, and it, you always see this. It's the place where the four winds met with an internal struggle. I'm not exactly sure where it came from, but it came out of I'm pretty sure a Bennington Banner article. Yeah. Um, that 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 is just interesting in itself when you think of energies that are um in the area and especially I, I i haven't heard anything about the god at the top of the mountain but that that makes a lot of sense because i do know that when the original settlers moved to the area you know the abenaki tribes that were in the area you know they warned the the white settlers not to go don't yeah. settle on the mountain especially don't go to the summit like they specifically warned them not to go there yeah which is strange and you know why why would they do that and it makes sense especially if they believed you know there's some sort of of power that that's strong enough that lives at the summit of this mountain that they call it their god you know or at least one of their gods um yeah so there's that, you know, they, they obviously experienced something at some point that was just incredible. And that's and just, I, I, yeah. I wish we knew what that was. <laughs> no, but you have to think about this too, is, you know, the Bennington banner, obviously that paper has been around forever. Um, but when you think of like the earliest article, you know, that you can actually dig up of something that, you know, made a story. So think about this, where in, you know, 2023 right now, we have access and we know of like stories because, you know, two generations ago, about a hundred years, you know, depending on how long somebody lived. So, you know, the stories from that time. So like, for me, I take into account, like if I read a story back in, you know, 1946, I know that like, I feel pretty confident about that because they should know the history of a hundred years ago. Right. You know, obviously, like based off now, if we were to read that far back, we're like, oh, who knows? But we have to put like ourselves in their place. Like we know stories 100 years back from our ancestors and generations, you know. So the stuff that like was printed in the paper and, you know, the 1940s or the 1920s that, you know, come up with stories or folklore from, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. Like it just makes you put more a little bit more thought into that. You just got to put yourself in that time period, you know? Right. And I would like to just mention that I did, I have reached out to, I'm trying to find his name. Um, I can't find it. 
but he he's an Abenaki leader of this area, and I've I've reached out to him to to talk about you know the their myths and legends of the area, um, but they weren't interested in in doing that. No, they keep pretty private. And I did actually, I found my note about like the God's name. So the God that they believed, and I am probably going to butcher this. So, you know, research. But the God that they believed that lived up on the summit was Tabaldak. So it was T-A-B-A-L-D-A-K. Hold on. Sorry. Uh, T-A-B-A-L-D-A-K. Cool. Yeah, and that's going to, just to let you know, that's going to send you down a whole nother wormhole. (laughs) That's totally fine, because this, (laughs) this actually plays into my theory. Um, And it's definitely the kind of stuff that interests me the most when I get it, when I think of the paranormal and I get into paranormal topics, I'm not so much digging around for, for ghost activity or things like that. I, I, I kind of gear towards a more earth magic situation we've we've (laughs) definitely yeah no we've done uh investigations in the past too that we have strongly felt that it's been an earth you know i guess i guess you'd call them elementals right oh yes 100 percent. you know and that's something that interests me i actually went to school for environmental biology and forest ecology and it was you know because of obviously like I'm into nature and whatnot but with my paranormal side too obviously elementals is going to pique my interest a little bit and of course cryptozoology right then you would definitely be interested in the Hinsdale house because the way uh Daniel made it sound and the way um it seems like the research over there is going is that there's some sort of elemental in the woods that surrounds the house um, that was like awakened in the 1970s when, when the Dandy fam- family that. lived there. Um, I could see that just from the knowledge that I know there, I could definitely see that. Dude, if you ever get a chance to go there, I will pay you to go there. No. So you yeah, don't I, want anything to do with that? No. No. <laughs> no. I've had my run-ins with, with ghostly activities. And um, yeah. <laughs> Too, I'm too afraid. Like, I'll talk about it, but I don't want to go. Um, you want other people to investigate, but you want the evidence. Sure. Like, yeah. you're interested in the evidence. Like, I don't blame you. I mean, when my I team goes on to some investigations that I don't go on to because, you know, they may be, like, too dark for me. I've had attachments before. So with my kids, I'm cautious now after that. Right. And I'm like, listen, I didn't go, but I want to hear the evidence. Right, right. Yeah, I mean... That's pretty much it. <laughs> I don't want an attachment. That's what I'm afraid of. So I try to stay yeah. away from from that kind of stuff. I have a buddy who goes. He's a urban explorer, um, and he goes to all these places, like all these abandoned mental hospitals and you know sanatoriums and all these crazy places. And he tells you know he's had this run in with this this. I I definitely think it was a demonic spirit in um some sort of demonic entity in uh, I want to say Elmcrest hospital. And like, he still goes and does this stuff. Like I, I can't believe it. Because so. he gets something, you know, he gets an evidence and stuff and it's the yeah. whole thing of, you know, you find something out, you may be afraid, but you're still going to push that limit. 
Right. Like they have a picture of it, but he can't find it, which is pretty, it's a bummer, but, but anyway, back to the triangle here. Um, so the, the earliest kind of documented sighting of something weird going on in the area that I have is from this guy. He was the governor of New Hampshire, uh, Benning Wentworth. And I don't know if this is like the dude that they named Bennington after. I'm not, I'm not sure about this. It is. He, yeah. Cause New Hampshire, when Glastonbury was first, uh, chartered or whatnot, it was by him in New Hampshire. So yeah. That makes sense. Right. Right. Um, yeah, and it was 1761, and, and he, he visit, visited the area, and he saw, I guess, what he described as mysterious flashing lights, shadowy figures in the woods, and they heard, like, these mysterious screams echoing, you know, throughout the whole area. And that was 1761. I don't know if I said that, but... Yeah, that's, I mean, that's so amazing. Right. And another thing I found interesting about the mountain itself are these stone cairns that are throughout the area. There's some at the yeah. summit. There's some, you know, halfway up the mountain. They're, they're kind of just sporadically placed. And apparently the, the Abenaki tribes, you know, the Abenakis that lived in that area, they don't claim them. They, they didn't make them. And um, I forget exactly who they sent there to, to kind of investigate these cairns, but they looked them over and they, they decided that, that some of these cairns are so old that they're even prehistoric, um, like thousands of years old. Just I guess from from the way the moss is growing on them and the and and how weathered they are, which which is also very interesting. Like who made these? What are they made for? Why why are they here? Yeah, it, it makes you wonder. And the thing is, is there are no rocks that are in that shape or anything like that up there. So that means those rocks had to have come, you know, like all the rocks that made anything up there, like they had to have come from another place. And the fact that the Abenakis don't claim them, where did they come from? You right. know, how old are they? How did they get up there? Does that have something to do with all this like mysterious stuff that goes on there? I definitely think it does. Just, just through history, what we know of history, Karns are, they have some sort of mystical power behind them. I mean, you, you, yeah. know, you talk about like Celtic peoples and, you know, like uh, the Norse, like Vikings and and even the, these these. I guess they would be prehistoric. Um, uh, Arctic tribes, you know, they built these huge, yeah. huge pillars of stones. They stack these huge pillars. They're not necessarily carns, but they're on the same, you know, yep. same level. Yep. And they're just like they're they're kind of like um, uh, Stonehenge, you know how it's these, it these giant. Have you blocks. been to the one in Woodstock? What what is it? Here in Bellows Falls. So have you been in the one in Woodstock? The uh, the um, the underground. It's, uh, like, yeah, well, Chamber. it grows underground. It's like Vermont Stonehenge. No, so, I haven't been there, but I know what you're talking about. Oh my gosh, you have to go. It's so like it's so bizarre. So you go up on the, like, don't want to get off track. So I'll make it super quick, but you go up on like this farm road. Right. And there's a lot of like horses around there. Cause they have horse trails up right. top in the woods. They do have a lot of little carns too, which it's the same thing. Like, you know, there's a lot of debate on where they came from, but on the right hand side, 
there's like Vermont's little Stonehenge. So you go through this like, it's like a little hut, you know, that they made. So it's like enclosed with stones. But the weird thing is this is in a gigantic bowl. So like you're looking at out like at a field, it's a gigantic, perfectly shaped bowl. And you walk down, it has it and you go through it. And it's, it's literally Stonehenge, like it, these huge, gigantic stones, you know, like t 10, 20 times the size of you. And they all have like engravings on it and stuff. You, you got to check it out. It is awesome. And so this isn't the, the stone chamber, because I know there's a stone chamber up there, too. There is. It's so it's a stone chamber, but you go into the stone chamber and the stone chamber is actually like in this bowl shaped like land in the ground and you go in and it's it's like the stones there's a circle of really big stones just like stonehenge no you i've never, I've never been there but i i've heard of the it. chamber but I, that's all i've really ever heard about it is that there's a chamber yeah. well there's other chambers too up in the woods from there i've never actually like hiked to the other chambers like this one's right on the side of the road and mm. you know the landowner is super awesome probably because you know it's a cool area right. you can't tell people not to check it out i know but, and the, the yeah. whole chamber debate and discussion about the stone chambers of new england like that's a whole uh seriously i'm so into that too but i guess there's like <laughs> just to touch on it real quick there's so there's these for the listeners there's these there's stone chambers there's over 700 documented chambers just within new england and you go in through these little holes in the ground they look like little little caves you go into them and they open up into these big rooms that are stacked stones and the roofs are like um i guess when you think uh if you ever heard of lagrange in in Ireland that's like a perfect example almost exactly the same thing um and there's just so, some of them are perfectly aligned where they have little windows and like the winter or summer solstice the sunlight will perfectly shine through that hole um and and I guess usually there's like quartz crystals or some sort of of shiny rock in the back where the light will shine on the rock and it'll illuminate the entire chamber just like certain times of the year, you know, all these different solstices. So it, it's it's not like some farmer got bored one day clearing his, you know, farm field back in the 1800s or 1700s and built, you know, a, a root cellar. Like some whoever built these put time, energy and thought into them. So those are the stone chambers. <laughs> <laughs> they're awesome. Yeah, they're definitely really cool. But uh, yeah, so. So these cards, I mean, I've seen pictures of them on the mountain. They're mysterious. They're, they're, I, I definitely feel like they're connected to whatever's going on. Some sort of, of weird, they must have some sort of weird energy attached to them. But who knows? I mean, there's not a lot of research done on them. Um, What else do I got here? I got... I guess we could just have call them man-eating What's that? Yeah. Have you done any research about like portals and stuff there? No. But I was going to theory about how everything's related. Okay. So I'm surprised that you like, so one big thing though is about like the portals. And I actually have, of course, working in the paranormal, you know, you make meet people who are sensitive in different areas and whatnot. And I'm a dog groomer and I, in my professional life <laughs> and 
<laughs> I used to work with a girl who actually lived in Bennington as well. And she was, she's big into crystals and nature and all that stuff. And right. one of the things that she always, and I, I always say claimed because, you know, this isn't scientific stuff. So hmm. there's no, you know, definitive for this. So I always say claimed, but she claimed that, you know, she could see portals. And that was one of her big things of anytime that I went up there, she would always say, don't go by yourself. Please don't go by yourself. And please don't ever have somebody like or turn your back where somebody's not watching you. She was like, because, you know, there are portals up there and different times of the year and stuff. The portals can be, you know, like there's a thinner, you know, veil mm -hmm. and that was always the, something that like, you know, piqued my interest because it, you know, when locals tell you stuff like that too, you know, you have to say like, okay, well, you've lived in this area long enough and you know, you know, and that's another thing that I just want to say about the locals is I don't know if you actually talked to, you know, many of them, but they're totally split down the middle. It's like right. a 50, 50 thing. They either Nope, there's nothing going on there. Don't yeah. want to talk about it. That's folklore. Stop talking about it. Like, that's just stupid. Yeah. And then the other 50% are like, yeah, like there are weird things that happen around here. And, right. you know, so it, it is, it's totally split down the middle. Right. Like but, I said, um, I talked to my cousins who live in Shaftesbury. They're totally like, I, like I've asked them, you want to bring me up on the mountain? Let's go to the mountain look around we'll do like an episode or something up there we'll make a video or something and they're like no i'm not going there i don't we're i just stop talking about it i don't want to go um yeah. and then i talk i also have this guy on the show his name's brad martin he has a youtube channel uh green mountain metal detecting oh um, yeah i'm into metal detecting i follow him yeah so he's been on the show a bunch of times and he is he's he's such a skeptic. He he did a whole series on the mountain. He's like, there's absolutely nothing going on up there. Like I go up there all the time. There's nothing going on. It's perfectly fine. There's no monsters, no Bigfoots, there's nothing. Like stop so talking. There's somebody on my team too. So I feel like when it comes to being a skeptic, that's great because you're in that for the scientific thing, you know. So you're gonna be the one that like is going to try to find the most reasonable, you know explanation for whatever happened. So it's awesome. But what I've also noticed is, in the paranormal is I've had people that are very skeptic and they have less experiences as the other people, but it's because they're so closed off mm. that, you know, like they're closed off. They're not seeing anything, you know, people like it's like anything that's out there, like can see they're closed off, you know? So I believe that right. that's a part too, but I love like skeptics because I've also been very skeptical in certain things and it makes like evidence even better. Like, okay, I'm really skeptical, like in this area, but now I just found this and I can't find a scientific reason and I don't like it, but mm. you know, like, right. so I think it's great to be skeptic of, you know, a lot of things you got to be skeptic, but open. Right. Yeah. That, that, that's a good way to approach everything. That's kind of how I, I try to be here on the show too. Um, but but yeah, so like Brad, he's he's and if you and if you're listening, I'm sorry, but he you're he's he's totally closed off of anything. Like I've done epi other episodes with him, and he's got a dude. You, you've probably seen Eddie on his show. Um, it's like his they I think they work together quite often. But but uh, Eddie, he's a believer. So 
when like they come on a show, like I'll talk back and forth with Eddie about this stuff. But Brad's like, God, this this is stupid. Like, stop talking <laughs> about it. But um, he yeah he 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 says there's nothing going on up there, but I don't believe him. So has he gone up there at nighttime? Has he camped up there? Yeah, he he has actually, and he actually has a really cool story. Um, I'll just I'll that he heard I'll noises say. or saw something, saw some lights. <laughs> Well, I'll I'll just I'll give you the lowdown really quick. So he was up there. They were camping um, back in high school, I think. And he saw what he thought was Bigfoot. And like he for like, I don't know, 30 seconds, he was like, oh, my God, Bigfoot's real. I'm freaking out. And there's no way this is happening. And uh, it turned out to be a moose. But, <laughs> but for a minute there, he, he, he was like, he was like. What did I just see? But moose it was a moose. Dark, scary. But when you listen to him say tell the story, it, it it's he's I think he did an episode on it, but um Yeah. Pretty funny. That's yeah, another thing so. too, is you know, people some people say, Oh, these missing people, like it could be a mountain lion or it could be some like I don't know if you grew up have you know grown up in Vermont your whole life, but like mm-hmm. Come on, we know the things that are in the woods. I do believe in catamounts and stuff like that. Like I've had I had an experience actually when I was a kid in school hiking out on camel's hump so like i believe we have you know big cats and whatnot but they're not coming to attack us you know like i've grown up in the woods i've grown up as a hunter too and we don't have big animals that are going to come and attack us and especially not that many missing people you know like right exactly in your life, how many times have you heard of somebody, you know, like passing away from being attacked by a wild animal in one of our, you know, national forests here? Right. None. Like, it doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, it is. It just it doesn't happen. Yeah. So. And for like listeners not from Vermont, like and you'll hear about like the catamount theory all the time. Like, oh, it was a mountain lion that got him. And these are people yeah. who are like in California where you could walk down the trail and you could be chased by a mountain lion. But the fact, you know, here in Vermont, they're technically extinct. Um, we know they're here. They haven't been documented documented in 100 years. But this is not, catamounts aren't doing, mountain lions, they're not doing this. Like, And even if there was a mountain lion, there's no way it would have killed these people. It just doesn't seem right, you know. No. Especially within, we'll, we'll get into it, but these people, like, it was like a six years or a five year period where where uh, six of them died. Five of them went missing. Um, one of them was found, the first one. And there was no evidence of him being, you know, killed by a mountain lion. There was some weird stuff. <clears throat> Another thing to that, like I keep hearing different things that one, only one of them were found. But then I've read other things that two of them were found. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yes. Two of them Is were found. Down? Yeah. Sorry. Cause um, but no, it it is though. It's there's discrepancies though because some things that I read though will say right. only one of those missing people were found. But... Right, and I'm not even sure the first one who went missing. We might as well get into it right now. So yeah, might as well. <laughs> um, there was a period. I think it was 1945 to 1950. Uh, five people went missing. One of them was found. The last one who who went missing. I got, I got all the dates written down here, but just off the top of my head, the last one who went missing in 1950 was found like a half a year later. But also, you also hear stories of a man named 
I got him right here. Uh, Carl Hendrick. Now, I'm not I'm not entirely sure that this story is even real, first of all. But you hear about it all the time, like it is real. Um, if if it is real, and it almost seems like it's got to be real because it's just you hear everybody talking about it. Um, and multiple people have told me about it even before I knew what they were talking about. Um, but his name was Carl Hendrick. And he disappeared on November 11th, 1943. So this would be, and he was the one who was apparently squeezed to death. That's the guy I'm talking about. You heard about this guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard about him, but you can't find any definitive like records of him, though. Right. That's so what that's I'm saying. That's the thing that's like, it's so hard because even if you go back into like Bennington's history, you can't find any census of him or right. anything like that. Right. That, that, and that's what I'm saying. Like, so many people talk about the story. Yeah. It's real um, because there isn't any like definitive evidence that this person's real. But people will tell you that guy was real and this really happened. Um, But yeah, so he went missing on November 11th, 1943. He was hunting with his cousin um, and they separated at like a a fork in the path. Are they making like him into Maddie Rivers though? Because Maddie Rivers also disappeared in November. And And, and that's also another weird thing that I found out when I was doing this research. Yeah. The people they either went, they all went I never made in October, November, or December. It's it's really weird. And some of them, one of them, even went missing on the exact same day, three yeah, years yeah. after. Is that not bizarre? Like there's something really weird going on. Like it it's crazy. But yeah, this Carl Hendricks guy, he his story is so similar to Maddie Rivers. Um, but with Matt with Maddie, they never found him. And this Carl guy, they ended up finding him a couple days later. He had apparently been squeezed to death. Um, and I, I guess when, when he was squeezed, his ribs had broke and they had perforated his lungs, which which was what ended up killing him. Uh, and his, his rifle was found 100 feet away from where his body laid, leaned up against a tree. He had not fired any rounds. Um, and apparently there were like, they called them big bear prints and they were found all around his body, but they didn't, you know, they just called them big bear prints that, that you know, that, that was all it said. That's so weird. So I like, I'm honestly, like I said, of course I was in, you know, college years ago, but I did my thesis on this and I am so confused right now because everything that I've known was like, that literally was Maddie rivers. Huh? This is what I wrote down for him right here. Hold on. Uh, he went missing on November 12th, 1945. Yeah. See, I have 1943, now, which was also in November. Oh, my God. It's a day after. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I'm wondering if these two stories are getting like some sort of folklore. And they very well could be because. You know what I mean? Because they're too close. And everything that I've seen, like research wise, was like. Maddie Rivers was found. He was like the first victim that was actually found, but he was found two years later. And I've seen different things of they did actually like search, you know, in that area before when he was found, but they didn't do like an in-depth search. But at the same time, he wasn't found too far away. So my thing was, well, if they searched for them, they should have searched thoroughly, you know, in the distance that he was found. And like you said, the whole gun thing, like when it came to Maddie Rivers, like some, you know, things that I have read and everything. And of course, it's the past. I'm sure not everything is accurate, unfortunately. But 
you know, what I had read was that a cartridge from his gun yeah. was found yeah. in, you know, yeah. the stream. So it's just, it's weird how those two are so, they're both in November. Two years and a day apart from each other. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I wonder if there's just those two are, you know, like one of the same or, and I don't know. I'm sure if you do more research or, you know, somebody does like a deep dive, you know, there's, right. there's sleuths. Right. Please do a deep dive. Let me know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have time to do that, but right. I don't know. I, I have oh. been debating whether I want to or not. Like, it seems like somebody needs to dig into this area because there's not a whole lot. You hear the same things over and over again. No. And um, the, be the best thing is literally to contact like, you know, the town and the historical society and not even like deep dive into like specific things, but deep dive into like the time periods you're looking for. Right. That's how yeah, that I sense. find the most info because it's like you find that secondary info or you find, you know, what you're looking for by looking through secondary info. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so that Carl Hendricks guy who was squeezed to death, supposedly, he's not really ever included in this group because they found no. him. Yeah. Um, but from the major five who went missing, uh, Mitty Rivers, he would be the first to like officially be counted because I don't think they ever found his body. It was the Carl guy that they found but this Mitty Rivers guy was never found. But that cartridge was what was found. So they did find a cartridge. And it had almost like like it was in his pocket. And he had bent over like bent over to 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 look in the stream or something because it, they found it in the river. Like or a yeah. stream, not yeah. a river, but That's the same thing. A stream. Uh but yeah, so Mitty Rivers disappeared on November, so 11, 12, 45. And he was 74 years old. He was on yeah. a hunting trip with four others. Yeah. And some people say it included his son-in-law. And some people say his son-in-law wasn't involved. Um, yeah, I've read the same thing. And a lot of things, too, say that he was with his son-in-law when they split off from each other. Too. Right, right. Yeah, so he, he, him and his son-in-law were together. And they split off at a fork, much like that Carl dude. Um, yeah. And so Mitty Rivers went down the path. Um, let's see. What do I got here? He was near his son-in-law having separated at a fork in the road and mentioned how he was going to go a little further down the path. Um, and then apparently he never came back to camp or anything. And they went looking for him. They didn't find where he was. Uh, and they reported him like the next day. Yeah. Uh, and then they never found his body. It, but what interest, what's really interesting about this is that they were hunting in a location called Hell's Hollow. Yeah, isn't that like creepy? Right. And have you you have you ever heard of Missing 411? Oh, I totally follow Missing 411. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Come on. <laughs> I, right. I figured you did. Uh that uh David Polites, who's the author of Missing 411, he yeah, came out with a awesome. book called The Devil is in the Details. And it involves it's a book with all these cases of all these people who went missing while in a location that included like devil or hell or, you know, all these places that yeah. have devil or hell, you know, like devil Ridge or hell's half acre, or, yeah. or, you know, hell's hall. They got their name. So, they got their name somehow. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that would be Mitty rivers. And then the next one to go missing is probably the most well-known 
It's the one people yeah. always cover, and that would be Paula Weldon. And that yep. was on December 1st, 1946. She was 18 years old, and she was from Bennington College. She told her roommate she was going on a hike on the long trail. She set off um, on on December 1st, which apparently it was 50 degrees out. So she wasn't properly yeah. dressed, but she had a red parka on, like a red jacket on. Um, and she was apparently seen on the trail by an older couple who were like behind her. And apparently they watched her around, go around this bend in the trail. And when they caught up to that bend, she was just nowhere to be seen. She wasn't on the trail anymore. They couldn't find her anywhere. Um, and she was never that's seen again. Yeah, that's the crazy part is like, I think, you know, that's what you notice in all these stories is it's the same thing. They are with somebody else. They turn their backs mm. and these people go missing, you know, right. like. It's one thing if, you know, you have a child that like wandered off in the woods really quick when you turn your back, like, you know, unfortunately things happen or, but how many people is the same storyline, you know, happening to is with them being with somebody else and then turning their back and then they're gone. You know, she right. was hiking these, this couple saw her and as soon as she turned the bend and they got up to that bend, she was gone. Right. And and um, you think too like so one of the things you know and i'm sure you'll get into it but like the whole serial killer theory mm. if this couple was right behind her you know if if somebody came up she would make some noise she would scream something like that you know so right. like i feel like that really like disables the whole serial killer thing you know right like theory right because if you want to go and we'll talk i'll talk more about it We'll cover more about it towards the end. But if you want to go like the serial killer theory is really if you don't want to go the parent like a paranormal aspect, if you don't want to look at this in any paranormal ways, a serial killer is really the only way you can just, you know, um, is the only answer to all these yeah. people have gone missing. Yeah, but, uh, but there, there's so much evidence that goes against that, really. There really is. I mean, because yeah. even her going missing like that. If you with this missing 411 and all these other cases throughout all, you know, all these other states and, and even countries, it's always like you turn your back for one second, you know, and these people are just they're vanished, almost like a portal. They're being abducted or they're going through some portal or right. that, that's 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 my theory is that they're just yeah. stepping through some somehow, some reason, something's opening up all of a sudden. And they're like, they have no time to react. It's just like their next step is in it, the portal. It's through a portal. Yeah. It didn't see my theory is whether it's like, or, you know, not necessarily my theory, but if you say that, or if you believe, I will say in portals, then what is your opinion of what is coming through the portals? What dimensions are aliens just from another dimension? So are, are they coming through that portal too? And that's why we're having lights and you know whatever is bigfoot also from another dimension and it's stepping through the portal why do we have all this stuff and you know one thing that i am going to throw out about you know glass and berry and the bennington triangle in that area is the confusion mm. people like tend to say that they get very confused or you'll find stories of you know people got turned around 
or they fell asleep in one area and they woke up and, you know, like the scenery was totally different. You know, it, it's just that really brings up to the portal area. And I, I believe that. And like, it, it's kind of funny because my boyfriend and I, we do a lot of ATVing and we know, you know, this one area, like the back of our hand. But coincidentally, this area has like this weird little, it's not a settlement. It, it was, you know, somebody's home years and years ago. But this is in the middle of the woods and it has a cemetery, like a cemetery with two girls or two siblings that are buried there. So you're talking like middle of the woods, off the beaten path, has, you know, this old headstone. They're from like 1820, I think. And it has their their old homestead by it. But every time we go up there, and like I said, we know this mountain like the back of our hands. Every time we go up there, we follow the path off and we get turned around. And it's just one of those things of, you know, like we know all the trails, but you can really put yourself in the whole like Bennington Triangle of that land of, you know, you can be on a trail and it's very easily to like you can very easily get turned around. Or, and if you think of like, you know, if somebody has some confusion going on in their head and they're on a trail, you know, like they can get turned around. But what's causing all of this confusion? Like what's causing them to, you know, get lost like they are or to see like the scenery different than it was two minutes ago? Right. <laughs> you know, and I have a, a uh, another example I'm going to bring up of another mountain across the ocean in Africa that's like very, very similar to Glastonbury. It's so, it's weird. And I'm sure there's other mountains out there that are very similar to the Mount, to Glastonbury. But um, I instantly, when I was doing my research, I instantly thought of this mountain in Africa and I'll bring it up towards the end, but they have a, a an explanation um, sort of, of what could be causing this confusion, you know? But, but yeah, that that's a good point. This confusion is going on and there's actually a really good example um, of a dude named Robert Singley who went missing on the mountain but was found. And he yeah, was like super confused and there's some funky stuff going on with him. And that happened back in 2007 or 2008. Yeah, there's definitely it. recent stuff too. You know what I mean? Like people that have like recently gone up there too. So it's it's crazy how like the history has gone all the way back to this folklore from the Abenakis with, you know, things up there that they don't know where they came from. They're not claiming that they ever made them, you know, to now we're in 2023 and people are still hearing weird sounds up there, you know, seeing odd lights in the sky and odd lights in the forest. And, you know, it's, it's gone on for so long. It's, it's a cool place. Mm. I, I definitely think it it's all connected <laughs> and you almost like you're talking about this this god thing this abenaki god like um they've been there so long you you almost have to to put some sort of credence behind what they're telling you you know what what their their lore is we call it for folk folklore today um but there's got to be some sort of truth behind it. Almost, you know, you almost think that there has to be some sort of truth behind it. Oh yeah, I believe what they said. I believe their warnings. Right, exactly. I mean, because that—that's essentially what they are. They're warnings of of what's going on, and 
uh, whatever area you're at. And, th and this, this isn't, <laughs> and this isn't just Glastonbury. This is everywhere. But um, but yeah. So so uh, Paula Weldon, like I said, she's she's probably the most well known person to have gone missing on the mountain, and that's pretty much because. She was wealthy. You know, her family was very wealthy. Her father yeah. was like an inventor of of weird things, I guess, like um, salt shakers and and uh, different like weird tableware stuff. I, I forget exactly what he did, but he um he offered a five thousand dollar reward for any information that would lead, you know, to wherever she was. And uh, that would be like yeah $70,000 today you know that's yeah think about how much money that is nowadays that's why she's the most well known is because unfortunately you know like and I, I'm sorry like she went missing it's horrible but that is why she's the most well-known case is because her family had the most money mm. to be able to bring the resources and like look at the resources that they brought in to search for her right you know, and that should have wrote them down, but it, it is crazy, yeah, crazy. And that's the reason why the Vermont State Police yeah, now has the Vermont State Police, you know, right. because she was from Connecticut. So we brought like, you know, the state police from there came to investigate along with the FBI and everybody else. Right. Yeah. The Vermont State Police story is pretty interesting. Like, I guess they like they had so much stuff going on, so many people looking for and they just totally messed everything up that, yeah. that they had to get some sort of, you know, organization together that could organize all this stuff. If something like okay. this was to happen again. So they created the state police. Um, and th you have like stories of her going to meet like a, a secret lover or stories of her having a fallen, like, like she had fell out with her family uh, and she was trying to run away. And I was, I was thinking while I was at work today, like, she would be like 90, 90 something years old today. So she could very, if, if she ran away, she could still be alive and it could be any day. Now she could give some sort of deathbed confession and be like, you know, you know, me as, you know, she'd take on some other name, but she could be like, you know, I'm really Paula Weldon, but I don't know. It's just something I was thinking of. Um, it's true though. So, so the next one to go missing would be a man named James Tedford, and he went missing on. Uh, this this is this is weird. He went missing on um, December first, nineteen forty nine. So three years after, three years yeah. to the day after Paula Weldon, which is really weird. Um, and he was a sixty eight year old World War Two veteran who was staying at the Bennington soldiers home uh, in Bennington. And he had been in St. Albans visiting relatives uh, and he was heading back to Bennington on a bus. Now he, he was seen on the bus. Plenty of people saw him. Bus driver saw him. He was seen. So the bus, they made the stop before the last stop. So the stop before Bennington and they saw him there. He didn't get off the bus. Nobody saw him get off the bus. Right. The bus driver remembers seeing him on the bus still, but when they got to Bennington, he wasn't on the bus. His stuff was on the bus. He had all his stuff on the bus. He had his ticket 
And I guess he had an open timetable, like an open yeah. book that had like all like the he was just sitting there. Yeah. Like he was just sitting there and poof, he's right. gone. Right. And the really weird thing is they figure he went missing somewhere where when they went by Glastonbury Mountain, like somewhere on that route. You go past Glastonbury Mountain, which I'm assuming is like Shaftesbury area. Um, it's all on the same route. I don't know. Is it Route 9? Uh, I didn't write that down, not, But I yeah, like I think it is. Nine. Which would like be like the route same route, route that uh, Paula Weldon walked down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because there's there was another missing person too that also there there's split things of where they went missing, which the next person or was it Paul Jepson? Yeah. That they also are, yeah, they that was another thing. Next one, but still, it all it's all route nine, which is super weird too. Right. But yeah. same thing, Bennington Triangle, it does. It it lines route nine. So right. I mean, we're talking twenty seven thousand acres here. <laughs> you know, that's a big space. Yeah, I mean it is. It is. Oh, all uninhabited too. Yeah, I know. There's like, I forgot. I wanted to talk about the town before we got into the missing people, but we'll bring it up afterwards. But yeah, there's like three people that live out there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, so so this guy, he just vanishes into thin air. Never been seen again. Um, And then the next one who went missing was Paul Jepsum, like you said, on October 12th, uh, 1950. And he was he was only eight years old. He was a kid. Yeah. Um, he was helping his mother, you know, and he was sitting in the back of their pickup truck while she fed their pigs. Um, and when she returned about an hour later, Paul was gone, vanished, poofed, you know. Uh, and apparently the weeks leading up to his disappearance, he had like this sudden, strange fascination with the mountain. It's all he wanted to talk about. It's all he wanted to think about. You know, you you read, you know, stories about, um, like interviews and stuff he had with his the police had with his parents, and it was just like the kid was just fascinated with this mountain. Uh, yeah. And apparently, they there was a, a some bloodhounds that tracked his trail to the same area where Paula Weldon had vanished. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, so I feel like Paul was a hard case, though, because I've seen a lot of mixed, you know, like articles about him. Some say that his mom was working all day. So you think a mom going to work for eight hours. Right. You know, and then others are, you know, she was just stopping to feed the pigs. Others where she was delivering, I think, milk or delivering something. You stop to feed the pigs. That's super quick. You know, like he's sitting in the the front. That's quick. An eight-year-old child, you know, and granted, if he was really like infatuated with the mountain, there's a chance he could have gotten out and wandered off. However, an eight-year-old child is not going to wander very far, you know? No. And <laughs> like you as a parent, you know, your child, once it turns dark in the woods, they're not moving, you know? Like no. they, they're not moving. So right. that like, that's just a, such a weird case. And 
of course, the timeline definitely is going to affect things. But still, even if it, she was working for eight hours and he ended up wandering off, once that it turned evening, I don't see him going very far. No. You know, with all the searching and stuff, like there should have been some trace. Right. And, and, and I, I, yeah, I mean, I did read a couple things where the bloodhounds had, had led them. Apparently there was a rock nearby where there were men's gloves, like, like, you know, grown men, a grown man had taken his gloves off and put them on this rock. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe he has something to do with it. Maybe he was abducted. Yeah. Who knows? Um, and I've read that. And I think that's why a lot of people will go to a lot of people do go to that article along with the whole route nine, you know, connection of the serial killer. So, and, but I think that that's a lot of people like, you know, anybody that's closing themselves off and won't look any further, that's where they're going to go. It's a quick, easy out, you know, and that's, I'm not that that's great. You know, that's horrible if there's a serial killer during that time. But you know what? Unfortunately, that only like speaks about what the 1940s to 1950s. Yeah. What about yeah. all those years before? And what about all the years up until current? Right. You know, you have to you have to put that timeline in effect, too, when you're trying to make any determination or theory, you know, or explanation. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think recently I, I couldn't find anything on it, but someone was telling me that there was a student from the Bennington College who ended up in. Um, she like disappeared. They couldn't find her for a long time. They ended up finding her. She was at the. Uh, there's some sort of rock quarry out there where people swim at. Um, I forget what it's called, but they ended up finding her there. Now, I, I don't know if this is a real story or not, but she walked down Route 9, apparently, all the way to this location, and no one could find her for the longest time. Um, but I don't know. She was in some sort of haze. You know, she was confused. She didn't know what she was doing. You know, maybe she just had some sort of mental break. But, but that, you know, and that's the thing, too. I mean, you had this, all these people go missing within five years, and then nothing. You know, you have sporadic events that happen. I've heard of, there's a group of hunters in the 80s that went missing. Couldn't I couldn't find much on them, but you have like these sporadic events, but it's not like five people go missing within five years. And then 10 years later, five more people go missing. And then yeah. 10 years later, five more people go. There's nothing like that. It, it is weird. It, and that also leads people to the serial killer theory. Like, you know, five people went missing within five years and then nothing else happens. Yeah. But I don't know. Nothing else happens like missing people wise, <clears throat> but is one of those things that I was just saying about like the timeline before and the timeline after what else has happened in that area. You know, you talk about the whole, you know, Bigfoot and, you know, sounds coming from the mountain lights in the sky, you know, so, okay. So people have maybe haven't gone missing since then per se. However, like there has still been some weird and, you know, abnormal, obviously, activity in that area when it comes to, you know, seeing lights and hearing sounds and, right. you know, things like that. So it's like the activity is still there. It's just a different, different activity. Right. And like I said earlier, there was that Robert Singley guy uh, in 2008 who went missing for a while 
And he he could have ended up just like these people, like, but they ended up finding him. Um, but obviously, you know, technology to find people these days is so much more advanced than it was back then. Oh and, yeah. But you know, something something was going on with him. And, and I'm, yeah, something I'm is to bet the same thing that caused him to go missing happened to these other people, and it's it's definitely paranormal. Like if you listen to his story something happened to him you know this 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 fog rolls in out of nowhere and everything is just like he's confused he's completely confused he doesn't know where he's going he's lost doesn't know what's going on um and they find they find him in time but yeah the point is is there something going on in this area of land that is unknown right you know, who knows if anybody will ever get to the bottom of it. And nobody's ever going to probably agree with what's going on because there are so many theories. But I feel like a lot of people, especially like people who have visited the area, done their research on the area, or are local to Vermont, they will agree there's something going on with this land, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, so there's one more of these, these missing people's. And that would be Frida Langer. And she went missing 16 days after uh, Paul Jepsum on October 28th, 1950. Um, and she was hiking. I guess they were camping like a family. They were camping as a family yeah. somewhere on the mountain. And she went on a hike with her cousin. Um, and she had ended up slipping into it. Like she fell into a brook and got all wet. She was like, you wait here. She told her cousin, like, you wait here. I'm going to go get changed because they weren't that far from the campsite. I'll no, be right they back. They were really close to the campsite. From everything that I've seen, they were really close to the campsite. Right. Yeah. Like minutes, you know. Um. So, yeah, she decided to go back, get changed, and she was going to come back. But she never came back. Her cousin was like, whatever, you know, you ditched me. I'm going to go back and ditch you or find out what you're doing. He goes back. Uh. Actually, I'm not sure if it was a he or a she, but um, they go back. The cousin goes back, and and Frida's not there. Like they haven't seen her. You know, she never made it back. And he obviously, he or she, the cousin didn't didn't pass them, pass Frida as as they were going back to camp. Um. So yeah, she just disappeared, and uh, this was also a fairly big search and i know yeah, there were three, at least 300 people several airplanes and helicopters were involved yeah. um and in 1950 to have helicopters involved that's that's a pretty big deal it, it was a big search especially for i mean we keep going back to being the little state of vermont like right. that's a lot of resources being used back in 1950 yeah, and a is. lot of ground being covered um and what I what I got here is that on May 12th, so several months later, I don't how many months is that? I don't know, like six months or uh, five months later, eight months. I don't know. I'm, I'm not doing the math right now. Several months <laughs> later, in 1951, her body was found just laying in the grass um, in an area <laughs> that had been searched. But she was, you know there the decay was was she was too decayed to to get any sort of cause of death definitive cause of death i think 
I think the doctor on scene said she had drowned, but there was, you know, he obviously it was just a, a guess because she was right next to uh, Somerset Reservoir. Yeah. And I mean, you think, too, I think it was like seven or eight months, too. You think laying out a body in those elements, you know, and think about, you know, this stuff we have now in 2023 and what they went off in 1950 to do an autopsy. Right. You know, in 1950, it, I'm sure it was really hard to find a cause of death seven, eight months. Oh, yeah. You know, while a body was sitting out there in the elements with animals. Yeah. But it still goes back. Today. Yeah. It still goes back, though. That area was searched. And yeah. with that many, you know, 300 people on the ground searching and she was found within three miles. Like, I feel like they should have found her. If right. she was there at that time, they should have found her. And like we get we get snow here in Vermont, obviously, but we don't get that much snow that it would have covered. You know, I don't I, I highly doubt there would have been that much snow to cover a body when people are looking in the snow. Like, you know, they have poles, they jab them in the ground. You know, it's not like there's 12 feet of snow on the ground. Maybe there was five feet three feet you know no but you have to look at two of like the weather patterns back there like when paula went missing 1946 that was what like four years before and it was what 50 in december yeah i know i thought that was weird <laughs> you know so it could be you know how it is like we have like three four years of these like weird weather patterns so there's a very good chance in 1950 that the snow, you know, like there was barely any snow or maybe it was right, also right. in the fifties, you know, during December. So yeah. Like, I feel like based in that time, they should have found her. Right. Um, I honestly feel like she just kind of fell through a portal. <laughs> I, I really feel like her body was like, she disappeared and then she just fell back through somehow, somehow, some way. You know, yeah, no, that, there's, I, there. I definitely strongly believe in some sort of a portal theory with everything, everything that's going on. And then when you relate it to other areas in the nation or, you know, wherever that also have the same things going on, you know, it's you have to try to put something together. Yeah, I mean. She definitely it's not like she didn't die there. It wasn't, it was, I think it was like three miles away from, from where, where they were hiking. So she didn't, unless she got majorly lost and wandered way the hell away from where they were going. Like, how did she yeah. end up there? You know? Exactly. So even three miles. So like what we were just saying that they searched there, 300 people, they already went through that and searched that area. So if she was only three miles away, say she were to walk three miles away, she would have still been alive three mm. miles away by the time that they caught up with her. Right. You know, she should have been. So there is something that's playing into that, that just, we don't know. Like there's, there's some sort of force or something. It doesn't make sense. Right. And when, when you mentioned that some sort of force and one thing that got my attention was several of them, at least were officially wearing red. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I know, I think it's in Indonesia, there is a forest where they specifically tell you not to wear red because it attracts the evil spirits. And I've, I've also heard of this going on on other, you know, other forests all around the world. It's like they're attracted to this color. 
and they're going to take you like don't wear red in the woods. Um, and I would imagine it. So, so Paul, the little boy and Paula were the, the rich girl that went missing. They were both officially wearing red. And I would imagine Mitty rivers, the hunter was also wearing either red or orange. Yeah. Right. Being a hunter. And when I think of, of hunters back in the fifties, you know, back in the old days, they have the, you know, the, the, the red flannel, like, I, <laughs> yeah. I and the red flannel wear it today. Like I think yeah. wearing that, you know, um, it's true though. And I've heard was, that too. You know, it, it does. It makes you wonder, like, I wish I could see what every single one of the missing people were wearing. Right. Um, that was one, one thing I wanted to bring up one note that I had. And another note was, was these missing hunters in the eighties. I didn't find anything. I don't know if you knew anything about that. Um, but I didn't, I didn't see any, I just heard somebody mention this. So I didn't, I didn't see anything about this, but, uh, um, I guess, I guess you can narrow it down to it's either paranormal or a serial killer. There's really no other, but there's just so much evidence, you know, like, yeah, Paul could have been abducted and Paula could have been killed by someone. And, you know, that there's, it's so these times are so close that it's almost like it's a serial killer but then when you when you get into the details of it it, it doesn't seem you know and look at their dynamics too you know it's men women a child mm. you know what i mean like normal serial killers yeah. and i hate saying normal but <laughs> you know a, a regular serial killer they have you know like like a they're pattern. going for one type. They have right. their pattern. You know, they're not going to go for, you know, an eight-year-old child, a 74-year-old hunter, you know, right. an 18-year-old, you know, girl at college. It's just the, it doesn't make sense. Right. That's a good point. I didn't even think of that. That That is a very good point. Um, another note I have is, I, I, I forget who did the research. But I guess they did go over the area with with like um, electromagnetic uh, meters and the the fort, the electromagnetic force within the triangle is fairly low. But um, they only did this once. So it's not like they, they kept up with it because it, you know, and these people who went missing, they all went missing in in fall or early winter. None of them went missing in the summer. None of yeah. them went missing, you know, late winter. It's always like you know as the leaves are changing and falls coming in it goes into the theory though that the veil is thin during that time of the year yeah. too right. you know portals That's... are more prominent right um so yeah i mean that those are the missing people though that's like the the main thing about the bennington triangle that a lot of people get into and and i'll just bring this up really quick because it's getting late uh there's a couple more things i wanted to cover so i hope you don't mind no but, uh there's this mountain in africa when i heard when i was doing this research for this this it instantly made me think of this there's this mountain in africa called um uh it's like mount nyagani and it's probably it's probably not what it's called but that's what i'm gonna call it and it's so much like glastonbury is that locals say that spirits are attracted to red on the mountain uh, if you wander into sacred sites, you will become hopelessly lost. Bad weather literally follows you around. 
people become confused, disoriented, and nauseous. Uh, they see strange lights and animals. And in the 1980s, a group of hikers were lost for four days wandering in the mountain uh, in like a in a, in the days. Uh, they could see the searchers searching for them. And when they called out to them, it's like the searchers couldn't hear them. And they were just in this like in between zone. You know, they're like in between worlds almost. And they eventually ended up coming out of it. Uh, and they that, you know, that's obviously how we know about this story. And they described being in this weird place where everything was hazy. And they were confused. And they were trying to call out for help, but nobody could hear them or see them. So crazy. Like, were they stuck in some trance because they were stuck in between a portal, you know, like in right. between some doorway and they were like in that process of going through a portal? Yeah, it's I mean, that's what it seems like. You think. I know it, it does. Like, I'm sitting here thinking of what I'm just saying and I sound like a total lunatic. <laughs> you know, like, it's crazy. But when when you put it all together, like, what the hell yeah you like, know what There's, else could it be what and, can it be and i mean uh the more you know portals 10 years ago five years ago even you talk about portals you you definitely sound crazy but as they continue to do these research with like um the hadron colliders and they're getting into all these weird particle stuff like portals are like almost going to be proven real within the next couple years like they're specifically almost like trying to open these things what are black holes in space it's almost the exact same thing it's like a black hole that opens up it's a bunch of little particles that are being made up in some area because there's some sort of elemental you know aspect that is going on in that location like you know that's that's my theory right and i mean it it makes a lot of sense. Uh, there was, I'm going to look it up really quick. Um, there was a podcast that I just listened to the other day. And it was about uh, flight MH370, which was like this Ma- Malaysian Airlines flight that just vanished. Oh, know, yeah. Everyone remembers that. Right. And the official story was that the pilot killed everyone on board. You know, they... uh he depressurized the cabin. Everybody suffocated. And then he just yeah. like flew the plane until it ran out of fuel. Um, but apparently there are these videos that just surfaced several years ago, but they've really been getting a lot of attention lately. And it shows these uh, UFOs. And this this was a podcast. This was an episode on the Confessionals podcast for anyone who wants to, 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 listen, to listen to this. But this video shows these three look like UFOs. And and there apparently there's their spy satellite footage, and this guy goes into this whole thing about how he knows that this is real. I'm not I'm not entirely convinced that this these videos are real, but it shows these UFOs. They get in a triangle triangular position around the airplane, and then they go like circle around it super fast, and it the plane just disappears. Like it like they and he talks about like this portal technology and how you can you know, through scientific means, you can open these portals and that the government has this technology and they used it to, it's a whole thing. Like it, it gets real crazy. They used it to stop China from getting semi, uh, super semiconductor technology because all these technicians were trying to like fly to China and 
So I, it, it's nuts, but it's weird how he was just talking about this and, and we were just talking about this portal stuff. Like, like it's almost like portals are in nature. They happen naturally. And because of that, we are, if we can just figure out how nature does it, we can recreate that. Um, and one thing that always I always bring up when we talk about, when I talk about portals is David Polites of Missing 411. He's famous for not giving a reason for why these people are going missing. Like people, you listen to podcasts and interviews and YouTube videos, they always ask him like, so what do you think's going on? And David's always like, you know, I'm not, it's not my job to, to, you know, to, that's not my job. Like he doesn't, he doesn't want to talk about it. Uh, there was a documentary he was on where he literally said, and this was the only time I've ever heard him say this. He literally said that these people are walking into portals. So take, take that as you will. But he said it, I swear to God, I'll even, I'll, I'll leave a link to the documentary that he said this on. <laughs> um but it's it's true though when you you think about it you know what i mean like one we just are looking for the evidence and evidence can't lie so any little thing that's pointing you to you know like that as the a piece of evidence you know it's just it's more and more and something that you just said about you know like portals and nature and everything okay so yeah there's some sort of natural portal thing that is going on so is it that much to think that, you know, we talk about alien technology all the time. Is it nothing to think that they have been able to formulate that and take that and form it into their own technology? Mm-mm. You know, if you just think of any, like, anything alien related that we know about, you know, their spacecrafts, their, the way they travel, obviously their technology, if you believe in aliens, their technology is way above anything we have. Right. You know, so come on, a little portal that that we believe is a natural occurrence. Of course, they can do something, you know, so it just is the point of what you say about the whole plane. Right. I mean, and if you think about aliens like that and then, you know, you get into the real science of it, if they're even if they're flying at light speed, like if they, you know, their ships can go at light speed. It would still, you know, from some of these places, you know, planets where they say these aliens come from, it would still take them hundreds of years to get here, right? They need they a would portal. have to develop some sort of portal yes. technology in order to to skip the yeah. space travel and go from, from there to here, you know? Yeah. Oh, like I said, a wormhole is the same kind of concept as right. a portal, except exactly. a wormhole is in space and a portal is on the earth. It's something natural, something elemental. Right. Exactly. Um, So we didn't really cover the ghost town and we don't, it's getting late. We don't have to get into this very much, but I'll I'll just go over it really quick. Um, So the original inhabitants of Gladstonebury mountain, they, they made their money by selling firewood and charcoal was what they really made their money off of. And so they, they cut so much of the forest down um, you know, to, to make this charcoal and to, to sell this firewood that, and when that started, you know, when they started losing out on the money from that, they wanted to reinvent themselves and they became a, a resort town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. They had that. like casinos and, 
dance halls and all this crazy stuff up there. They turned the, they, they had a, an old coal train that they would use to, to, you know, transport the charcoal from the mountain to, you know, the market. And they, they, they turned that coal train into a trolley and, and all this crazy stuff. Right. But it only lasted for a year. There was this huge flood, you know, the spring came, the thaw, the snow thaw and the rain and it, because they had cut down all the trees, there was nothing to hold the, the soil in place. And this flood just came through and washed everything away. And they never rebuilt. They, you know, all these bridges and the, the train tracks and everything disappeared. They couldn't get back up there. You know, people were stuck there and they just left. And and I really think that they came across something while they were up there. They yeah. they dug up something they weren't supposed to. And that's I feel like like. It was cursed land to begin with, but they really pissed something off. Um, yeah. Whenever See, they did, I it. feel like the whole thing with that town too. It just proves that that whole land is tainted in some way or another. <clears throat> they try to make a town, and if you actually like look at the censuses, you know, like any census bureau records, it's so weird too. Because what you'll notice is like when the town first started, you know, or this is, was like they would have like X amount of families. They would live there for like 10 years max. By 10 years, those families would be gone. And then new families. And then with 10 years, they would be gone. Like there was no families. I think there was maybe, from what I read, two families that actually stayed there through generations, you know. Mm. But it just, nothing succeeded there. You know, they tried the whole logging right. thing. Like you said, they cut down all the trees that didn't do them very well. Right. And they just they had nothing but like sorrow there and i'm not going to get into this but like the whole builder of the town the one that like built the hotel and everything he like his life was filled with nothing but like pain and sorrow too he had nothing but tragedy after tragedy in his own personal life mm -hmm. so there like it just shows that there was something on that mountain that like no matter what you know no matter what town somerset Fayesville was like the first settlement in the town, you know, nothing was going to succeed. That land has always just been, you know, like we, it goes back to the Abenakis burying their dead there. Right. They didn't see any good for that land, you know, right. and kind of like what you said, they dug something up or, you know, something, they, they woke something up and right. it'd be interesting to, I didn't know that about the, the builder guy who built the hotel be interesting to find these families in the census then like look up their histories and see you know these different lineages and see if like all of them were cursed you know yeah and that's yeah, why they're yeah. leaving they're like we can't do this anymore we gotta go you know it's yeah there was just there was nothing good up there and then you know like you said the flood and you know it's there's never been anything good on that land on the mountain. You know, if I guarantee, like if somebody were to go start that town up again, like I don't think anything good would come out of it. Right. And I know there was also a dude. Um, his name was Henry McDowell. And he, he just like randomly killed someone one day. Uh, with yeah. a rock Cause he had, you know, something told him to do it voice it you know he it sounds like he had a mental break and voices in his head told him to kill this guy and he did he 
And he ended, yeah. I guess he ended up breaking out of the mental institution. They put <laughs> Never him to be seen again. Either. I know. Like that's, that's weird too. It's just crazy. It's like, okay, wh what, what year was that? Okay. You, you can't be alive still. So we're good. Right. Yeah. I know. <laughs> like if, if it was him and he was the one who like killed these five people, he would have to be like in his nineties. Like he was way too old to, to have killed these, these other people. Yeah. Like, if he like broke out of jail or wherever he was and went back to Glastonbury, he would have been too old. And I highly doubt he would have lived as a hermit in the woods to that age. Yeah. And another thing too, <clears throat> just because we we're just talking about the town and the flood, this goes back to the Bigfoot after they did have that big flood. And I, I don't know if you saw this, but there's oh, a yeah. like famous story about the stagecoach driver. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's another one too. And you know that it happened because, you know, they talk about right after the flood. Yeah. And so the Bennington monster. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's just another thing of the weird things that go on there, you know, driving. And then, you know, he gets out to inspect the road and granted, nobody actually saw the monster. Every single person on the stagecoach reported that it attacked the car and flipped, you know, it actually attacked it and flipped it over. And they saw and, the tracks, know, right? In the, yeah, in they the did. Yes, the driver got out because he was trying to survey the road up ahead to see if it was passable or not after the flood, and he noticed the tracks. Right. And then after that, the stagecoach, you know, got attacked. But when you do, you know, like the thinking and like looking into it, that literally happened right around the same time of, as the town. So, you know, people were living up there at that time that you know this stagecoach driver and the passengers had that experience too so i'm sure that that town had some experiences seeing whether it was lights in the sky or you know whatever i would love to be able to get my hands on records of the people that actually lived in that town back then mm. and do the research and see like did any of them go missing because we just we don't look into the records way back then right and you cool. know some things that i saw too was that there were dated like dates of people going missing back in the 1800s, right. but you can't find any of the names of those. You just see, you know, the theories or, you know, like we said, the folklore. Right. And that's what Joseph Citro told me was that there was people who have gone missing. Yeah. He didn't have like any specifics, you know, he just. No, that goes into having to, yeah, that goes into having to like, you know, look into the historical society, do a deep dive of, every person that lived in that town and follow their lineage, you know, it's doable, of course, but you know, I, just nobody's done it. Right. And so that was the Bennington monster. And you had mentioned the man eating rock, which is another famous uh, monster of Glastonbury mountain. But when I think of it, um, I don't think of it as a monster itself. Like it's always depicted as, a man-eating monster, you know, a rock with like big teeth and it eats you, it gobbles you up. But what I think of it as is a portal, you know, to rock, you're, you're yeah. literally stepping on a portal. That's the only yeah. way it can be, it can be, you know, the Abenaki of the time, they described it as a monster because that's all, that was, those were the only words they had to describe it as. Yeah, they didn't know. Right. It's definitely, it's definitely a, the, the man-eating rock is definitely a portal. A and the language barrier so you have to remember that too the language barrier right. too yep. at that time so you know they described it how they could describe it right that makes a lot of sense um so 
I hear people say like one of the things is and this to me like is just the most bizarre thing is people say well there's sinkholes up in that area Mm. that's that's what it could be I've lived in Vermont my whole life like have we ever seen a big sinkhole that is big enough to like eat a person no you know we don't have that even in Bennington like I'm sorry no I know you hear like people are always like well, what about all the wells, you know, like, okay, but how many times have we had someone, you know, nowadays fall down a well and, and go missing? You're like, it doesn't happen. It's not wells. People aren't, these, these five people, they didn't just randomly fall down a well, you know? No, there's something else going on. There's definitely, with everything going on, with every you know, little thing between the Bigfoot, the UFOs, the portals, the towns that are, have failed, you know, the Abenaki stories about the area, there's something bigger. Right. And so, so listeners on my show, they know that I'm real big, that this is my theory. Listeners of my show, they know, because I've done episodes on this, like I've I've done some pretty in-depth research um, and I've actually, I'm working on this huge piece. Uh, it's going to take a while, but um, the Fae, I am so into the Fae, fairy folk. Like, I totally believe that, you know, Christians, they call them demons. Um, Muslims, they call them jinns. You know, like, you hear the Irish, they talk about fairy folk. This We, we mainly call them fairies because of you know um you know our, our Euro- european lineage and how this, the whole thing works out i don't know it it but we we uh we mainly know them as fairies but they're known all over the world every culture has stories of them they're almost always very similar and even native americans talk you know you have the pukwudgie like that is definitely a fey creature there's and, and there's other ones but there's just so many different creatures i honestly truly believe and and even paranormal investigators like yourself call them elementals. Like this is something I truly believe in. I've gotten so many fae stories from people. Um, I think that it's all fae related. Like these portals, they're they're opening to their gateways to you know the fae realm. It's this whole other place. Call them aliens. Call them what you will. Demons doesn't matter it's all the same thing when you look at it and it's just like you know another dimension another world very similar to ours they you know they probably i don't want to i don't I, I could go on forever but they probably inhabited this world at one point some of them are still here we developed you know this this knowledge on how to how to smelt iron and make all this iron weapons and for some reason we always hear stories about how how ghosts and all these paranormal creatures they they have a an advertence to iron i just feel like the iron drove them away they they it's just this whole big thing like you, it, it's crazy you, you can go so many levels with it and i truly believe that some of them are left behind and those ones like that god you had talked about um tobalak tobalak or something like that he he would be like a fae like a fairy We'll call them fairies. I don't like that word. I don't you think of Tinkerbell when you when I say fairies, but essentially that's what it what it would be. 
the Native Americans, they called them their god. It was a god, you know, to them because it had these these powers that they they didn't understand. Um, and and it goes like that through you know ancient Egyptians, Greeks, Norse. They had they have these huge pantheons of these gods. Um, and even even like Asian cultures that I have no idea about, they still have these pantheons. Like uh, um, another big one would be like the ancient Hindus. Like they have this huge Hindu, all these Hindu gods. Like the same thing. I truly believe that they they're fey. In that, like the Bennington area, Bennington Triangle area, one of them stayed behind and he's still there. You know, maybe he's like sleeping and, you know, he's putting off these energies somehow. This is all just a crazy theory of mine. Somehow he's putting off these energies and every now and then, for some reason, if something's right, you know, the conditions are right, these portals will open up and people will just disappear. But I don't know. I, I truly, it just sounds sounds like the only log and i say log i'm gonna say logical but it, and it doesn't sound logical but sounds like the only logical answer to me and bigfoot yeah. i mean is a prime example bigfoot would be a fey creature like yeah i mean my theory isn't far off from yours you know i believe that, you know the portals and i believe that all this stuff including ufos and aliens are coming through the portal of course we can call anything aliens because everything is unknown to us so technically even bigfoot could be an alien you know because it's still an unknown creature i mean it but, has these weird powers it seems like you know exactly exactly so my whole thing is like my belief really is very close to yours i think maybe the only thing that could be different and a theory is just a theory until something is proven and your theory changes, you know? So my only thing is when it comes to fate, I very much believe in that, but it's kind of one of those things, just like you, you know, I believe UFOs and Bigfoot and whatnot could be coming through the portal. Fay are also coming through the portal. But at the same time, I do believe that there is some supernatural power on that mountain that has been there. It's a very ancient being and mm -hmm. is causing all of this. So whether it is a fae, whether it is, you know, who knows, but there is something supernatural that I do believe is causing everything. And I do believe that this stuff of why there's so many, you know, claims there of all these different broad variety of, you know, paranormal, paranormal things, UFO, you know, unknown stuff, it all stems from a portal. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's all supernatural, you know, it's right. there's something supernatural going on on this mountain. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. Now, um, I have one other thing. I don't know if you have time It only take five minutes, but I have a personal story. Somebody sent me that's very interesting that happened to them on Gladstonebury Mountain. I don't exactly. I forgot the exact location, but um. And I, I think I've told this story before, but it was way back when I first started the podcast. Um, and not a whole lot of people downloaded those episodes. So I don't think a whole lot of people heard this, but uh, it's a very interesting story. Um, and it's actually, it's really quite scary. Um, <laughs> so there was this guy, I'm not going to mention it. I, I actually forgot who, and I'm sorry. I forgot who sent it to me. I'll have to look him up in my messages. I still have the, the message and the story, but um, he, he was on the mountain and he got permission to go to this location to cut 
um, like evergreen trees and stuff like that to make Christmas wreaths. So this was around Christmas, you know, no late November. Um, and he was doing that and he had a chainsaw and he was running his chainsaw and he was cutting these, these, you know, uh, branches and brush down and over his chainsaw, over the sound of his chainsaw, he heard a, a, a woman screaming for help. And so he turns the chainsaw off and he listens, but he doesn't hear anything again. Turns the chainsaw back on and he goes back to work, you know, and he's cutting again and he hears he hears the scream for help over the chainsaw once again. Um, he he quickly turns the chainsaw off this time. He want you know he's trying to he's trying to figure out where the scream is coming from. He turns the chainsaw off. He knows what he heard, um, and he listens again and he hears it. He hears the scream for help, um, and he can kind of pinpoint this location where it's coming from. It's coming from you know far not too far off but far enough. So he puts his stuff down. He goes for a walk in the woods and the scream continues to, to come in like intervals. Um, and he's getting, he can tell he's getting closer cause it's getting louder and louder. And it brings him to this, this swampy location. And he's hearing this scream, the screams coming from the swamp. And when he gets out there, everything's quiet. He doesn't hear the scream anymore. Nobody's calling for help. He doesn't see anybody. He hasn't seen any, any sign that anyone's out there, you know, Everything's quiet. And, you know, when the, the forest goes quiet, you know, something's not right. So he's he's real freaked out now. He, he, th he thought maybe somebody was hurt. You know, someone was hiking and they got hurt. Um, and, he was, you know, he wanted to help. But now that he's out here, he knows something's not right. Everything's quiet. Like, you know, the, there's no birds, chipmunks, squirrels, none of that. It's just dead quiet. Um. And then he hears the scream once more, super loud, like somewhere right in front of him. And then the mountain. So like he's like uh, he's on the swamp. It's kind of flat. And then the mountain kind of goes up. He's kind of he's not at the base of the mountain. He's kind of on the mountain. And you can see where it goes up. And the mountain right above him just seems to burst to life with this weird mechanical sound that's coming from within the mountain itself. It's not on the mountain it's not like machinery working on the mountain he said it sounded like machinery working within the mountain and it scared the shit out of him he instantly just ran away you know he grabbed he grabbed his chainsaw he left everything behind and he left and he, he yeah. said he's never going to go back so yeah i mean that could go into a whole nother thing you know like the whole thing of aliens working in our mountains and underground tunnels and you know that's a whole nother that's a ufo alien thing but another thing too that like you brought up about the whole thing going quiet that's a big thing about glassenberry and when you get like you know up on the trail it does go quiet and i know from like just the couple times that i've hiked up there it is it's very eerily quiet up there and not only is it very eerily quiet, you don't see many animals. You don't mm. see many animals. You don't see many insects. Like, you know, like, obviously the wildlife is thriving because the plants are growing and whatnot. But it is very quiet up there. And it just, it makes you wonder why is the forest so silent? You right. know, I've grown up in the woods my whole life. You know, I go outside my door and you can hear you know, all of the noises in the woods, 
but you you just don't hear it up there so it's it's weird i know exactly what you're talking about it's the 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 woods that i grew up with on the, the base of this mountain mount ephraim in rockingham um very very similar it's always I've, it's always felt weird it's always been very quiet not a lot of activity with with wildlife um it's definitely weird yeah when you think of the woods i mean it's, it's eerie is what it is yeah the place that i i lived for the past 12 years up in pittsfield too it was the same way and i actually had i had the um psychic of my team go up there and i was like i'm not crazy am i and she, thankfully you know like i i very much believe her she has proven me like she has blown me out of the water with stuff that she has like said Is that Michelle? So, no that's kathy i don't i don't know who she is but yeah she's our team medium on the vermont team but she's just she's amazing like i can't even tell you her talent she does she used to do a lot of missing persons cases and stuff so oh man yeah i i tried to get her on a while ago but she didn't want to come on <clears throat> yeah she's she's great though but she did she came up to my house and she verified she was like no Lindsay, your your land does it has a lot of uh ancient stuff on it and what you're feeling is right but you know, it just goes to like the whole feeling of you can feel, you know, just as a person, your spirit, you can feel when something's off, right. you can feel when something's, you know, not right. And yeah. all these people can feel that there's something off with Glastonbury Mountain, there's something off with the land, you know, they can't pinpoint it. But even the biggest skeptic can stand there, close their eyes, take a deep breath, and just feel it. And they're going to say that, you know, they just don't feel right. Hmm. So take it as you want, but you can't deny how you feel. Yeah, totally believe it. But that's all I got. That's all I got. Yeah, it was nice talking to you. It was nice meeting you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. That was actually a really good talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't get to talk about weird portal stuff like that all, all the time with people. So that was that was fun. Yeah, no, they were like, oh, do you want to talk about uh, Bennington Triangle? And I was like, yeah, I don't care who I'm talking to, but yeah, <laughs> I will talk about Bennington Triangle. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah thanks great. a lot for coming on. That was that was really fun. Yeah. Yeah, good night. See ya. All right, everyone. The Bennington Triangle. That definitely sounds almost canon to me. All right, everyone, the Bennington Triangle. Like, I'm telling you right now, there is so much uh, going on in this one location. Um, it's 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 almost mind-blowing. There's so much. There's ghost towns. There's, you know, almost like this town built on this cursed land that was, you know, it, uh, well, well, it's like poltergeist. You know, they built this town on this, this, um, uh, Indian burial site, pretty much, you know, this cursed land, they were told not to go there and they, they did it anyway. Uh, didn't work out for them. First of all, now there's a ghost town. You know, you had this, this, this spat of, of missing people who have gone, who the official, who have officially gone missing. 
you know, 1945 to 1950. But then you have, you know, all these reports of other people who have gone missing prior to that in 1800s, 1700s. We know from, uh, what, what was his name? The governor there. We know from the governor of um, uh, New Hampshire, uh, Benning Wentworth, that as at least as far back as uh, 1761, they were seeing weird things like I had mentioned, you know, shadowy figures, flashing, you know, flashing lights, uh, mysterious screams. Like, I mean, you, you could be animals, you know, uh, fisher cats and, and bobcats. They 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 make sounds that sound like, you know, women and children screaming. But what if not all those screams were bobcats, you know, whatever. Uh, and I guess even back then, you would have mountain lions in the area. So that still doesn't explain these shadowy figures in the forest and these these weird, mysterious lights, you know. We did a lot of portal talk. We don't usually talk about, I don't usually talk about portals on the podcast because we don't, I don't necessarily get the chance to, but this is a prime example of a location that definitely has the potential to produce natural portals. Um, This location, the Bennington Triangle, it is definitely, definitely rich with mysterious happenings. And I, I really do feel like there's some sort of ancient force there that that was, um, if not uh, awoken, pissed off when, you know, they they cut all these trees down and, um, you know, pillaged the land for everything it had. And there's there's just, there's just so many different trails you can go down, you know. But but what do we know? We know the Abenaki of that area didn't go to the summit. They didn't want anything to do with it. They even warned the settlers not to go there. They they even told them, you know, just stay away from the mountain. We know that. Um, in 1761, Governor Benning Wentworth of New Hampshire saw very weird things. We know that the land around the mountain, the land on the mountain was, uh, for lack of a better uh, term, raped and pillaged by the settlers. We know that they lost everything because of it we know that several people you know went missing mysteriously vanished never seen again we know we know that there's mysterious things happening to this day there is most likely you just can't get around it. There there has to be some sort of mysterious force at work that is at the root of everything that is going on. It's almost the only I, I keep saying logical, you know. It's almost it's gotta be the only logical explanation behind the energy 
um, at this location. And that is the Bennington Triangle. And it is definitely almost canon. Thank you.